Welcome back to Allocation Disorder, episode three or four or four and a half, depending on your perspective and how you like to count. Um, I am Sam Stayskull. I'm coming to you this week from Tucson, Arizona, where I'm hanging out with some MLS teams as they close out preseason. And joining me is a slightly stuffed up, a slightly sick, slightly under the weather Paul Tenorio, but he's gonna he's gonna fight for fight through. I'm it. just gonna try not to mouth breathe into this microphone and. I do have my microphone on today, so that's a, we're already one step ahead of, of episode two. I just had to double check and make sure mine was on. And, you know, you're a regular mouth breather anyway, so I don't see how this would be any different. But I digress. <laughs> um, obviously, there's a lot of news going on in MLS. And while we typically like to kind of have fun and keep it light on this show, um, the biggest story in the league right now is not so fun and not so light. And that's... FC Cincinnati, former head coach, now Ron Jans, resigning from the club after allegations emerged uh, last week that he used the N-word in front of a group of players. Um, you know, from what I've been told and from what other folks have been told uh, that, you know, those allegations are true. Um, the context of them are not exactly clear. Um, Jans, according to sources, uh, told Cincinnati, higher-ups that he was quoting a rap song, um, but MLS Players Association Executive Director, the big boss, Bob Foose, came out in a very strongly worded statement um, and hit back at that idea um, earlier this week uh, after news broke of Jans's resignation. Um, so obviously there's a lot to unpack here on a lot of different levels, but I think we should start with the most important thing, and that's just kind of the social aspect of this. Right. And, you know, there are a lot of people in my mentions the other day. I'm sure you you were probably getting some of this, Paul, um, you know, saying things like, well, you know, if one group of people can say the word, then why can't everyone? Or if I can't say it, then no one can should be able to say it. And it's just pretty simple to me. Um, if you're not a black person, don't say that word ever. It's rooted in hate. Um, it's rooted in centuries of really terrible treatment of an entire race of people in this country, um, just based on the color of their skin. Um, things that I think really haven't been atoned for in America, but that's an entirely different and broader discussion. Um, and it just shouldn't be used regardless of context. And yeah, maybe there are some degrees, right? Um, you know, certain ways of using that word are worse than other ways, but the starting point is really, really bad. That's the minimum. And, you know, regardless of what Jans did, that's the minimum. Um, and in my opinion, he had to go. And, uh, you know, however that ended up happening, obviously he resigned. But, you know, however that went down, um, he's gone now. And I think that's the uh, the right outcome in this case. Yeah, and I to the people who have been in your mentions and have been in the mentions of FC Cincinnati and the MLS Players Association, I would say go to YouTube and look up a video clip of Ta-Nehisi Coates talking about this issue and specifically talking about the use of the n-word in rap songs and you know white people wanting to use the word and why they might be wanting to use the word and why they shouldn't use the word and he can explain things so much more eloquently than I and so I'll leave it at that but I think you know the seriousness of this incident with Cincinnati is just the next layer on top of what has been layer after layer after layer of issues with this club since coming to major league soccer. And yeah. this is certainly the most serious one. And, you know, we can make light of some of the other problems that have been there, but I think, 
at the end of the day, what we can say about Cincinnati is that it's it's the biggest mess in Major League Soccer right now, and I don't think that's changing anytime yeah. soon. And before we get into the details of all of that, and we will get into the details of all of that, I just wanted to say kind of one more thing. You know, in these sort of discussions, put yourself, if you're a white person, um, asking those questions about, well, why can't I say that? Um, you know, go educate yourself, first of all, right? Go, go in with an open mind and listen to people. Um, try and be empathetic. Try and put yourself in another person's shoes and, and take in their perspective. Um, this is something that, you know, we all have to do, right? I'm not trying to be too preachy here, right? I'm not trying to say I'm perfect because I'm not at all. Um, but, you know, just like live your life in a way where you try and be sympathetic and empathetic um, to the struggles of other people and the perspectives of other people. And I think um, on a broader level, FC Cincinnati and MLS have a chance to take this um, and really make it, I don't want to say a positive experience, um, but they have a chance to take this and, and be kind of leaders in this space um, and and do something different, um, especially with regards to putting minority people in positions of, of power in clubs around the league. Um, and I hope they do that. Um, and I hope this isn't a situation where it's, okay, Jans is gone. That's done with. Let's, uh, let's forget this ever happened and move on. So um, that's sort of my other, my other takeaway here that I wanted to, wanted to mention before we get into any of the other aspects of FCC. Yeah, and I think it's a good one. I mean, we've, I've written multiple times on the lack of minority hiring in coaching and general manager positions in Major League Soccer, and I think that's one area where the league can do better. And they can improve their Rooney rule, just as the NFL continues to improve its rule. Um, it's important. Diversity is important for reasons uh, that go beyond just kind of the the biggest societal issues, right? To have a diversity of opinions, diversity of experience in a front office allows you to see every different angle of every problem you face from those different perspectives and to understand where people come from and how they see the world and what their experiences have been. So it'll make organizations, it makes yeah. organizations stronger. That's proven. And I think it would make teams stronger, but um, pivoting if we can as delicately as we can from this issue yes. to the other issues. In, in, Let's just in cannonball Cincinnati. right into it. There's, there's a, there's new, a Orlando new Orlando in city town. in town and it's FC Cincinnati. <laughs> it's uh, I mean, you look at this club, and to be fair, and this is something Jeff Birding, club president and once upon a time club GM, um, mentioned in his in his press conference that they had a very short runway to MLS um, from USL, and that's accurate. Um, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't really excuse what's happened since. Um, it made it made it harder, certainly, um, and and they didn't have the money of an Atlanta or an LAFC. But it's hard to look at it at pretty much a single soccer decision, at least before this offseason came around, and say, oh, that was the right move. That was a good move. Um, and to me, that all stems back to, and I know I think we're aligned here, that all stems back to, to Jeff Birding making the decision uh, to make himself GM um, for the MLS team. And then everything that's sort of happened since can be true. Yeah, I mean, look. You are a soccer team, first and foremost. So the idea that you would put hiring a general manager on the back burner, somebody who's got actual experience in soccer operations or in sporting operations, Jeff Birding's experience at the NFL level was not on the sporting side. He has no idea how to put a roster together. 
And and so to think that success in USL, where all you have to do is spend a minimal amount of money to outspend pretty much all of your competition, is going to lead to the same level of success in MLS, is just crazy. And you don't even need to look at Atlanta and LAFC and the big spenders. Look at Minnesota and look at Orlando City, two teams that had relative levels of success in the lower divisions who could not match that level of success moving to Major League Soccer. And by the way, I think Orlando City probably did the best job of transitioning, and you could have followed that model. You could have followed the model that they followed. And one of their first hires when they were making the transition to MLS was Paul McDonough as the general manager. So the idea that Jeff Burning allowed himself to build the roster and the number of mistakes that were made along the way, the trade for Fernando Adi, who had issues in Portland, who was coming out of con, who was coming to the end of a year where you knew the Timbers were going to want to move him. Well, well known issues. Known issues he wasn't Portland. producing. Yes. The Timbers were going to want to move him to spend as much as you did to get him was, was a mistake to overspend on Hagelin was a mistake to make trades, to pile up draft picks. Like it was the NFL draft at a time when the draft has never been less valuable to this league and to building your team. I mean, these are these are basic mistakes that were being made. And so now you see what happens when that when you allow that I type mean, of mistake. You don't even mention you don't even mention bringing ten USL guys up and not really having a feel for how many international slots you had and signing USL guys to guaranteed deals when they're on international slots and then having to loan them out for the entire season because you didn't have the space for them, which is something that happened, I think, with Emery Welshman, who's Canadian. Um, and, and they, you know, they didn't realize it. It was just like, it's basic stuff. It's not high level, like, oh, you need a master's degree in MLS, um, roster rules to understand this. This is like simple things, um, that they totally missed the boat on. And that goes back to birding, making himself GM, hiring Alan Koch as head coach, making all those signings, making all those deals and having zero understanding. And, and it really seemed like little prep work, little research, of what it takes to build a successful MLS team. And that put them into a huge hole that they're still trying to, the to dig out here, of. And I'm going to harp on something that's been kind of a, a theme that I've privately talked about with, with people within MLS. And that is, look, this league is still growing. And a, a part of what's still growing with the league is the media coverage. There are reporters, we're two of them, who cover this league full-time. The Athletic, our company, has devoted here. a lot of money to building a staff of, of MLS writers, which is great. We, we could still grow more. The, the industry could grow more. But one thing that's missing, if this was the NFL or the NBA or MLB, and somebody was making these decisions, and the results followed, and the number of, of things that went wrong and have gone wrong in Cincinnati – went wrong in any other sport you would have local columnists all over Man. this team and all over jeff birding imagine you would Stephen have sports center you would Stephen have Stephen a, a. the the <laughs> level of pressure that comes from the media is important for accountability and it doesn't exist yet in mls there is no full-time columnist that covers major league soccer that can that can hold people accountable you know some of us write columns, but we, we do so as reporters, and so there's always kind of a line that's there. And I think in this case, it really saves Jeff Birding and FC Cincinnati from the level of scrutiny it would get if it was the Cincinnati Bengals or the Cincinnati Reds. And that's the reality of the situation. And I hope that it continues, that as this league continues to grow and as the industry, the journalism industry around the league continues to grow, that that's one area of investment because – you know, that is how people like Jeff Birding and decisions that have been made in Cincinnati yeah. really truly are, are held accountable. 
yeah, too many people get to skate and too many people get to do it for too long. And it's a shame in my opinion. Um, and to be exceedingly fair to Jeff Birding, Cincinnati have things going pretty well off the field from the business perspective. Um, I don't think anyone is of the mind that, Hey, you know, Birding needs to be out on that side of things. They draw a ton of fans. Uh, they still have high season ticket numbers, even after the disaster that was their 2019 season. Um, they're gonna draw more fans are building a new stadium. He navigated that process. They have a big Jersey front deal. So, you know, there's, there are positives on that side of things, but on the soccer side of things, and Paul, this is something that, that you can harp on a little more because I know it's one of your, one of your sort of pet topics. Soccer is, soccer is the product. And if that dries up and if that goes bad, well, that business side is going to start to look a lot worse. It's just amazing to me how many GMs in MLS or, or leaders in MLS of MLS teams, I I can compare to Bruce Allen of the formerly of the Redskins and his we're winning off the field comments and we have a, a good culture at the Redskins comments, both of which as someone who grew up a Redskins fan are just like very visibly and, you know, obviously not true. And I think what what we've seen in these teams is usually it's teams that are performing poorly and when you perform poorly, you try to hold on to the areas where you're doing well or where you could potentially be doing well. Yeah, you grasp its trust. And at the end of the day, you, you're putting a soccer team on the field to play soccer. That's your job. That is the product. That is what the ticket sales will revolve around That's and the sponsorship sales and yeah. the season ticket groups and all of that stuff revolves around whether or not you're putting a good team on the field. TV deals. So prioritize that. Perspective. You know, yeah, and on the league perspective, we talked about this. You want to really too. be they're good. Lo- there are local TV deals too. Yeah, yeah, but from a national for MLS, you know, they operate the same way. That's why the teams operate this way. It's a business first and soccer second. They want to be a successful business. They want to be a successful TV product. Put a good enough product on the field. Be better than the Mexican teams. At least. Yeah. Yeah, and and to be like you know, I, I I try to catch myself when I try to tell other people how to spend their money, but and we talked a lot about this on the last episode, but yeah, I mean like you just you you're gonna have to invest at a certain level, and and that's an entirely different discussion. I don't want to go too far down that road, but it's just it, FC Cincinnati after an off season in which they were feeling pretty optimistic, in which they had cleared some of the onerous contracts um, that were on their books off their books. Um, and created space to sign guys like Yuya Kubo and Jurgen Lokadia um, to designated player deals. Um, it's just a huge step back. And now Yoan DeMay is interim head coach for the second time in less than a year. And Gerard Nijkamp, who I think it's important to note here, um, worked with Ron Jans for a long time in Holland, um, brought him over here, um, you know, according to him, ran a thorough background check all the same. Um, and, and it ended up in this situation. Um, he's the GM. He's going to be leading an international coaching search. Um, so we'll see how long that takes, wherever that lands. You know, Jans was only under contract through the end of this year. And they sort of made those weird and infamous comments uh, during their coaching search about this being a short-term solution um, for their manager position and then they reevaluate after 2020 ahead of their opening of the stadium in 2021. So we'll see where it lands. I mean, I don't really know what to do if I'm them. I don't know if they go back to Europe again like they did with Jans. I think that would, well, that would be interesting to say the least, depending on how that looks. Um, so I mean, there are they, there are there are candidates domestic option. So we'll see. There are MLS experienced candidates out there as well. We should point out, and would probably be the smarter move. 
with such a short time frame until the season starts. But yeah, I mean, I don't think you should make this in the in the frame of what's happening in 2020. If I'm FC Cincinnati and I'm picking this next head coach, I'm thinking what's happening over the next five years. I'm not thinking about what's happening this season. You're probably not going to make the playoffs anyway, and then you throw this on top of it. You know, as as frustrating and maddening as it would be from for them and their fans, you almost kind of have to write this one off in my opinion, and just try and build as best you can for 2021 and beyond. And I think that's how the lens they need to look through for this coaching hire. Speaking of whether or not to to look at things through the lens of 2020 or 2021, let's pivot to another team who should have been focused on 2020 and operated under a timeline that almost seemed like they were focused more in 2021 and and before we dive in here this the construct for what we're about to talk about we were going back and forth and what are our kind of three most intriguing rosters three most interesting teams um of the offseason heading into the 2020 season and there might be some surprises in this list but um the one that we're going to talk about first here Paul was getting at, um, and, and I'll let you take it from there. Yeah, it's the Chicago Fire. And people that? might be saying, what? Why is the Chicago Fire one of your three most interesting rosters? And the answer is because it's so incomplete. And with just a couple weeks until the start of the season, to see a roster that's so barren, that has so many holes to fill, is so unique and so different than anything we normally come across in Major League Soccer, and especially for a non-expansion team. And in some ways... The roster was left for George Heights, the new general manager, almost bare enough to be like an expansion team, only without the two and a half million dollars of general allocation money to build right. and the blank slate. And instead, and, and, and only without a year or nine months in the case of Cincinnati or two years of runway, you have two months. Right. He had very little time after being hired. Now, part of that falls onto Joe Mansueto, who I'm not going to take shots at here because Mansueto has done a lot of positive things since buying the fire, right? He got the fire out of Bridgeview, paid a lot of money to do so, and that was an incredibly important move for the fire. He, They announced today, got the fire back on TV, on linear TV, WGN. Another move oh. that's huge for the popularity of the fire within the market. Chicago's very own. Huh? It's, it's wow. important. Right. So those are two huge moves. He decided to fire the coach and fire the general manager, both, well, sorry, move the general manager to the business side of the organization, both moves that probably needed to happen after the way the last four years went. So these are all positives. These are all, you know, but there clear are understanding. huge problems, but the big problems were positives. he waited a month after the season to fire Velko Panovic. Why? I don't think there can be a clear explanation. It was unfair, it that, frankly, that to the staff. never makes any sense. I think it was unfair that, it to Velko Panovic and his staff. And it, it really put, the fire behind in the off season. And as a result, everything was delayed. And, and so by the time they made the decision to hire George Heights and who would then go hire Rafa wiki, they had to essentially complete half of the off season with somebody making decisions who wasn't going to be in charge and wasn't going to be building the roster. And as a result, not only are you out three designated players, right? Bastian Schweinsteiger, Nemanja Nikolic and, and Alexander Katai, who they lost for free, and they could have probably resigned at a lower number. Now he's with the LA Galaxy. But you also trade Dax McCarty, your captain, at a, at a position of need. You trade a homegrown player, off-budget, left-footed American center back, not too many of those floating around. And 
the roster becomes stripped down, stripped down, stripped down. And so now when when George Heights takes over, he's got to sign a starting center back, a starting right he's back. He's got to sign a full team. A, it's a an starting expansion six, team. A starting 10, a starting left winger, a starting striker. That's just the starting lineup he has to fill. That's just the starting yeah. lineup. It's crazy. Forget, forget depth, right? Like there's all of that as well. And And the big thing for me here that I will always come back to probably – for years and years and years. And, you know, I'll say it right here. I grew up around Chicago. I lived there. Uh, I went to school there. I lived there for a bit as an adult. I covered the fire once upon a time, way back in the day. Um, so this stuff is kind of close to my heart, I would say. I think I'll be upfront and just say that. They had a massive opportunity, a pretty much opportunity that's not going to come around very often, maybe if ever again, to capture the city of Chicago went by moving back into Soldier Field this spring. Bridgeview, for those of you who don't know, I'm guessing most of you who do, who who are listening to this podcast do, Bridgeview, where SeatGeek Stadium was or is, is impossible to get to from the city. Um, just really, really difficult if you don't have a car. Um, if you do have a car, traffic on Saturdays is a nightmare. Um, so that kind of tamped down attendance numbers and tamped down overall relevance. They answer this offseason. They're going to do a rebrand. They have a new owner who's who's more committed, I think it's fair to say, um, than, than the previous owner, um, Andrew Houtman, to, to be a success. And they need to hit the ground running in Soldier Field. They they have the second shot at a first impression in the city of Chicago to reintroduce themselves to this massive soccer-loving city. And instead of going out and making some big splashes, they're doing things like signing Robert Barrick as a designated player. And that's no offense to him or no statement um, on his ability or his talent on the field, but no one knows who that person is. No one. And the other DPs that they've been linked to similar sort of profile. And in a, in an off season, when we have seen teams sign Chicharito and Rodolfo Pizarro and Alan Polito, among others from Liga MX, um, for those who don't know, Chicago has a very large Mexican American population. Um, and for those who don't know, um, those, a lot of those people came out for Cuauhtémoc Blanco, um, back in the day when he was tearing things up in MLS with the fire. So to have that happening in this offseason when you're rebranding, and that is that is falling on its face, right? It's really poorly received all across your fan base and all across the league. Um, to have all of this happening in this, in this offseason where League MX guys are coming in and you have this opportunity that you're not going to have unless you build a soccer-specific stadium in the city to introduce yourself back to the market and say, hey, we're the Chicago Fire, come check us out. You just have nothing. There's no excitement. And this team is not good. And it's going to be a struggle. And that's not the fault of Rafa Wicke or George Heights. These guys were dealt an impossible hand. But it's there are a lot of factors. But to me, the biggest, most glaring, most easily corrected one is the delay in getting rid of Velko Panovic, the delay in moving Nelson Rodriguez away from the soccer side, and just making this an impossible task. Um, for the new guys to come in and correct it. And by the way, I think it would be naive to say that a team that would be successful and win games, even without name players, will draw in the market. This is not Atlanta. This is no. not LAFC. And there's, too, and there's too much history of the fire being a non-entity. Yeah, exactly. Right? There's no, there's is, no buzz around expansion. it being new. And Sam, you've written about this, and I think are planning to write more about it. But the biggest issue the league faces is how to reinvigorate 
the markets, the the yeah. the legacy markets in the this legacy league, markets. and the big city markets. How do you markets. get Boston to to turn out for Revs games? How do you get Chicago well, you build, to turn you build out a stadium in, in Boston? But yeah. how do you get how do you get the Red Bulls to be relevant? And and Oof. in reality, the Fire could be the best team in MLS next year with a bunch of no name players and. Their attendance will probably get up to where it to was 20. with Schweinsteiger. 18,000, yeah. 19,000. That's and the that reality. Look, that, that looks bad in Soldier Field, by the way. They needed um, they needed some stars. And and I talked to somebody, a source within the league, who said, you know, most of MLS right now doesn't need the star players anymore. They don't need the big names. The Chicago Fire do. They needed that. They're not going to get it. Instead of big names, and, and, what do we have? What do we have? We have a rebrand where they're plastering ads all over the city on CTA Elb train platforms with Jonathan Bornstein, Johan Kapilhoff, and Andre Reynolds, a kid who has like never even played a game in MLS. And again, no shade on those guys, but like that's your rebrand marketing campaign. And, and look, maybe the fire weren't in love with Pizarro, who ended up signing with Miami on a you know with a with a sure. an exit uh, release clause of twelve million dollars. Sure, but right? but if you got out in front of these problems. With the front office and the head coach and all of this, and you didn't have three DP spots that you had to fill, maybe maybe you only had two, or you had some flexibility, but you know you had a spot um, taken. <laughs> then then you're not in this hole. You're not in this impossible situation. And you can do your due diligence on these guys, and you can you know take the year that it takes to to make first contact and to scout and to make inroads and to convince a big name player to come to Chicago to a team that has struggled to a city that hasn't embraced soccer. Um, you can do all that legwork and, and they gave themselves no time to do it. And, and that's not really anyone's fault there necessarily, you know, a month wouldn't have made that much of a difference perhaps, right. If Mansueto came in and, and, and made the changes of Panovich and Rodriguez right off the jet, right off the bat. Maybe, maybe it doesn't make that much of a difference. It wouldn't have hurt, but it's just, it just makes me upset, Paul. Yeah. I mean, it's sad. It, it, it is unfortunate. I would have loved to see Chicharito in Chicago. I would have loved to see what could happen oh, in Chicago with, a, with, a, with 30,000, you know, 40,000 people. Maybe he, would, maybe he would never come, but you know, if you're the fire. That's the like, level they should have been looking. And, and you got to make a we'll godfather offer for I that mean, guy. Credit Gosh. to George Heights. He's taking it all on in one window. I would have taken a different tactic. I probably would have tried to sign some MLS free agents, you know, Beta Shore and Merrim and give it, bought myself time to really do sure. the research and, and sign the DPs. He's going after it. You know, they, they signed Barrich, as you said. They've got, you know, there's reports that Gaston Jimenez in Argentina is going to be another DP signing. Recently, they were linked to Luka Stojanovic, a, a player coming out of Serbia, 26 years old, who's had an interesting career, was very highly rated as a young player, went to sporting, didn't really cut it there, has seen his value go up a little bit more now that he's back in Serbia. Can he be a difference maker? Aliceta in Argentina. I'm not saying that eventually they can't find pieces to make this team competitive, but I do think right. it was but the just opportunity a missed opportunity had to, capture to really, opportunity had to really become something cool to do in Chicago, to penetrate a market where the Cubs are dominant and the Bears are dominant and the Bulls and the Blackhawks and the White Sox are very present and the music scene is, is thriving and the restaurant, it's hard to break into a big market like this. There's a lot I think of competition. They, they, missed the, they missed the mark a little bit. So yeah. we'll see what happens. Let's switch over to a, a, a roster that's maybe intriguing for other reasons, Sam. Yes. So, and this team played last night 
against Matagua and CONCACAF Champions League. They got a 1-1 draw on the road. Um, I didn't get a chance to watch that game. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. I was watching the LAFC match. Um, so we won't talk about the actual game. But Atlanta United, a really, really, I think, weird place with their roster right now. Um, a lot of guys have left. Vialba is gone. Julian Gressel is gone. Leandro Gonzalez-Perez is gone. Justin Miram is gone. That's four... Four key contributors from their team over the last few years, and in the case of Miram last season, um, offloaded. Uh, and I didn't even mention Darlington Hagby. Um, so make that five. Um, and, you know, they've brought in some new replacements. Matheus Rosetto, a Brazilian. Um, they have some other, I believe, Paraguayan players coming in. Um, Emerson Heinemann signed to a permanent deal for a whole lot of money. Um, Manuel Castro coming in and a lot of these guys, you know, they've, some of them have yet to arrive. Some of them haven't gotten their visas approved yet. So they weren't able to play in the CCL. Another one, Fernando Meza center back coming in. Um, but Paul, I mean, to me, this is interesting for a lot of reasons. Um, but, but I want to, I want to hear you out. Why is Atlanta United interesting to you? Um, this off season and this this coming season. Well, look, anytime you're operating in a salary cap league, there are going to be moments where you hit a ceiling on the roster you built, and you're going to have to move players who deserve raises that you just can't afford. And I think there might have been a little bit of that happening in Atlanta. However, when you look at the moves in totality, I don't think that was the driver of this change, right? Because when you look at the return that Atlanta got for Nagby, you look at the fact that they were selling Gonzalez Pires and immediately replacing him with Fernando Meza, who right, who's probably making a similar number, a similar number, right? Would yeah. Gonzalez Pires want to raise? Yes, but you have to know what you're capped at with Tatum, yeah. right? And Hinman, Hinman, similar. And Hinman, you know, when yeah. you look at Nagby, you look at Hinman. I mean, sim- similar raises, right? Nagby slightly more, but when you get into that figure, it doesn't really matter cap wise. Vialba. Another player who I think they, you know, they knew they were going to have to sell. He's probably the best example of a move I would have anticipated two years ago as a guy sure. you're going to move, you're going to sell, and then you're going to yeah. reinvest and that he had money. A de- he had a decreasing role too, to do so all of not, it yeah. at once. And you look at these decisions, the Nagby decision and the Gressel decision, especially and LGP. I don't think that those are cap related decisions. I think those are other. You put those into another pot, and what you get is a club that is totally. Rebrand, not rebranding itself, but putting on a new face. They are a new, they're they're moving in a different direction, a new identity. This team, the first few years were so defined by Tata Martino, and even last year was defined. Even by Tata last Martino. year, and and they don't want that. You can see that they don't want that, and and that's okay. That's totally fit. They have a new coach. They're they want they're going to want to play differently. He's going to want to pick his own players, and that's why it's so interesting because they had so much success in the early days. And they are very purposefully moving away and into a new direction. And so I'm very intrigued to see how well it works and how much wiggle room they've now given themselves, having moved Gressel and Nagby for significant allocation money within the league, Gonzalez Perez and Vialba for money outside of the league. What can they do now? And, and can they be as effective as they were early the first three seasons of MLS? Yeah, and I'll just, I'll just put a name on it here, right? This is Carlos Bocanegra's team now. And I, I can't remember his exact title, if he's GM or sporting director, or VP of whatever. Um, he's running this club now. And this was, as, as you mentioned, Paul, this was Tata Martino's team the first two years. And even last year was really defined by the absence of Tata Martino and Miguel Almiron as well. Um, but now, you know, 
Bocanegra and, and club president Darren Eels, they brought in Frank DeBoer. Um, they changed out a lot of, right, a lot of these guys we're talking about. I think you could define them as, as Tata's guys, right? LGP and Vialba, I think in particular in that discussion. Gressel, I think, to an extent, too. Um, and, and those guys are being phased out. New faces are being brought in um, that don't know the history of the club, don't have that experience. Not that they don't know the history of the club. They don't have that experience under the previous regime. And so, you know, you mentioned it. They have every right to do this. And it might work fantastically. I don't know. Like, they'll probably be pretty good. They still have plenty of talent. Um, but for better or for worse, this is Carlos Bocanegra's team now. And I think it's just kind of a fascinating transition because that model worked so well right from the beginning. I mean, in 2018, they were fantastic. You know, just incredible. And, you know, but it is it is a little bit of a different model. You don't see a lot of MLS teams with a coach who is so powerful and so outsized of a figure and has so much influence and is able to draw players just because he's a big name and they want to come play for him um, out of South America and other places, right? And they're going through this transition, and I think they took another big step with that transition this off season. And I'm really just fascinated to see how it plays out. Um, and, and you know, for better or for worse, if they're great, Carlos Bocanegra deserves a ton of credit. And if they're not, I think a lot of the blame falls at his feet. So yeah. it's going to be interesting to see. And lastly, just to, just to finish off the Atlanta discussion, I think, you know, in some ways it's, it kind of vibes with Atlanta, right? They're kind of like, do it our way. We know best. And the easy thing to do would have been, to re-up Nagby and to re-up Gressel. And, mm -hmm. you know, maybe you sell Vialba and you give yourself a little bit of wiggle room here and there. You don't re-sign Heinemann. You find a cheaper option, and that's how you make the sure. money work. Maybe like, even trade been, Gressel. Th knows. That would have so been maybe, probably yeah. the easy way to go, right? And the, and the sure. fans would have been happy to have one of the best holding midfielders still there, and they would have been happy to have Gressel still there, and everything would have been hunky-dory. And Atlanta said, no, you know, we don't see it fitting that way. We... We see our team coming together a different way, and we're going to maximize the dollars that we can get in the market now, and we're going to move forward. And it's a risk, but you know, I think it fits with kind of how they've operated yeah, and with the bold. personality of the people in charge. 100%. Um, anything else you want to say about Atlanta here before we transition to our third team? I think we're ready to go. All right, so you, you mentioned earlier in our discussion about Chicago how certain certain markets need big stars and big names. Um, not that many of them anymore, but there are certainly a few. Um, perhaps more than any other market in the league, that would be Miami. Um, David Beckham's team, they've been linked to every single player in the world, I believe, um, at one point or another for like a $100 million transfer. You know, they're going to sign Neymar in 10 years or whatever it is, right? Um, right now, they just completed the transfer of Rodolfo Pizarro who is certainly um, a star in his own right, in a way, but he's not the level that we're talking about with Miami. He's not the name that is going to get people off of South Beach um, and to drive up to Broward, to Fort Lauderdale, um, and put the butts in seats. The, he's, not, he's not Cavani. He's not Suarez. He's not that level of star. So, Paul, I ask you, where is the star? Where is he? How have they not gotten this done yet? Well, they do have an open DP spot left. So I don't think they're done shopping. But certainly not. it doesn't surprise me that Paul McDonough hasn't just gone and signed one of these big name stars. You know, this is the person. How, how does that not surprise you? Because this is the guy who was a big part of the build in Atlanta. And they bought 
Miguel Almiron for $10 million. And they bought Joseph Martinez for, I think it was like $5.5 million. And the players that they've been looking at kind of fit that mold in a way, right? Now, no one is going to be another... And it's going to be a long time, I think, until we see another Almiron. I mean, the guy was super special. Unicorn. They were very lucky to buy him when they did. He had established himself, but he really grew in Atlanta. He's just a very special player. But to go and target guys like Pizarro, who's 25 years old and is a starter for the Mexican national team, to target guys like Roger Martinez, who fits that Joseph Martinez mold, right? Like he's a winger at Club America. If you move him to the nine, could he be way more productive the way Joseph was playing winger in Italy and move to the nine? I get that. However, I do think when you have the owner that you have, the owners that you have, owners, you have the market that you have, I do think there's always going to be a desire for a star player. There are always going to be players that want to go to Miami. And I wouldn't be surprised if that star player still lands in Miami. I don't know what's going to happen with that third DP spot. It's going to be a number nine. And that's usually your biggest name player, your biggest star, the nine and the ten. They got one with Pizarro, who, like you said, isn't a global superstar, but can be very good in this league. And now they have that number nine sitting there, and you're wondering, who's it going to be? And it's really hard to judge this roster until we know what that third DP looks like. So, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but, you know, you're you're dropping some hints on this podcast for those who are listening closely. And they're leading me to one name and one name only. Nicholas Bentner, Lord Bentner, number nine, (laughs) Miami DP. Make it happen. Make it happen. Let's go. (laughs) He would need to really... You get a suntan lotion sponsorship to make it work. Oh my I think. god! I think I think Lord Bentner would enjoy Miami a lot personally. But let's transition. Sam, stop past. using our podcast to start baseless rumors about Miami. There are enough out there. Um. All right. I was joking, just in case that wasn't clear. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen, but I would be in full support of it if it did. Um. Let's transition past. Well, I mean, what do you make the rest of this roster? Right. We, we're talking about the star that has yet to arrive and that needs to arrive. You know, I, I lived in South Florida for a minute when I was a kid, and I used to go to Heat games back in the Alonzo Morning, Tim Hardaway, Eddie Jones era, glory days, right? Um, those were good teams, and the arena was never full. So um, they need, they just need a star. You need a star in that market to get people out, and, and they just need – anyway. Is I it digress. just me, or ha- have people been pretty harsh on Miami? I was looking at the MLSsoccer.com preview, and I think only three of the nine predictions had them making the playoffs – if you really? look through this roster... I mean, I think they're going to make it. I mean, look at the depth. Let's just start with the depth before we get to the starting lineup. Guys like Victor Ulloa, Jay Chapman, uh, Jerome Kiesewetter, who's a he's an unknown, but he's intriguing. Uh, he was in USL last year, right? So there's a little bit... Alvis Powell, Lee Wynn. I mean, these are depth guys. AJ De La right, Garza. So can we run through their Juan Agudelo. right now? I mean... I think they Who's can be a decent... Them? I think they're going to be a pretty good team. I mean, if we want to go with their lineup, I would say... Right now, obviously, Carranza, Carranza got injured, so that that's a the question mark is sure. still the number nine. But you've got you've got Luis Robles in goal at left back. Ben Sweat at center back right now is um, Andres Reyes, the the center back that they just signed, and Figal. Right, mm-hmm. those are the two center backs at right back. I think that's a that's still a question mark a little bit at right back. I'm not maybe sure. maybe Alvis Powell. I think it could be Alvis Powell. 
I think they they are looking at Dylan Nealis, their super draft pick, as a potential right back. Right. They have some options there. You look Roman at Roman Torres could be a center. Roman back Torres well. could be a starting center back. You look at the defense at the, at the central midfield. You're talking Will Trap as your starting number six. We know what he can do. He's successful in Major League Soccer. At the eight position, you're you've got different options there. You could play Lee Wynn there if you want to be a little bit more attacking. You could play Jay Chapman there if you wanted to. Um, you could play. Uh, could McCoon play there? They've been in discussions a with feel. a young. T- player we can't call him a tam player anymore i guess we could young player out of boca juniors who would fit right into that number eight role i suspect if that deal gets done that's who they're counting on as their starting number eight so again you've got some options there though he's not signed yet at the number 10 is pizarro on the left wing you've got pellegrini up top whatever that third dp looks like maybe maybe agadello for the moment who knows yeah maybe agadello for the moment and and then on the right wing um Lewis, Lewis Morgan from Celtic. So I don't mind this roster. I really don't think that it's going to be as pro- – I'm not saying they're going to be Atlanta United, but I don't think they're going to be Orlando City either. I could see them yeah. being a third, fourth-place team. And Which, by the way, that's what Atlanta is, United was. That's what Atlanta United was in year one. That's what LAFC was in year one too, third, fourth place. And who knows? Like, what if their third DP is a big name? Striker, it does it change? Does I mean, it I change think, your, your it discussion around? Yeah, this no, team? and that's. I think a lot of the narrative around Miami is driven by the fact that it took them a very long time to get a head coach, um, and they were linked with a ton, a ton of names, right? Um, and eventually, you know, it, what? When did they end up signing? Like early January, like yeah. just a couple of weeks before preseason, and. The other part is they've been linked with a ton of star names and they haven't landed one. So I think everyone kind of looks through their looks at the roster through that lens, right? Of they're whiffing. And, you know, they've probably missed on a few guys. I would imagine a lot of those reports that we've seen are BS, right? And it's just a case of Yeah, that's like the curse agents. of being a team like Miami. You're getting yeah. connected to every single major star who's coming out of contract <laughs> or gonna be out of contract within the next year. There's no way to fight that, right? There's no way to – and don't forget sure. also, the Eastern Conference is wide open, my friends. Yeah, I mean, no, there's I, think no there's... I, I think I think they're going to make the playoffs. But, like, I am a little underwhelmed at the same time, and I think that's fair, honestly. Like, I, I mean, I, we might I, disagree. I don't disagree with you. I just think that until a team like Miami has filled all three of its DP spots, it's not worth talking about whether you're overwhelmed or underwhelmed or just whelmed. I am underwhelmed, Paul. Let me be underwhelmed, okay? Just let me live. I'm not going to stop you, Sam. I think your perpetual state <laughs> is being underwhelmed, so I just let you live there. I don't there. know, man. I'm a roller coaster. I don't think I have one perpetual state. But it is going to be very interesting in Miami or Fort Lauderdale or wherever. Um, we'll see if they ever – how long they're in Lockhart. That's going to be interesting too. Um, but – yeah, really interesting discussion with them. I think they're a fascinating team. I think Chicago are a fascinating team. I think Atlanta are, are you know, maybe not quite as fascinating, but still pretty damn interesting. Um, and of course, of course, FC Cincinnati, which, I mean, sheesh. Um, yeah, rough times. Uh, anyway, Paul, anything else you need to get off your chest here um, before, before we sign off? You know, I'm going to put you on the spot here, and oh, I'm boy. just going to galvanize the growing burgeoning allocation disorder community sam my good friend and colleague Mm -hmm. is a professional writer he writes for a living he types on his computer every day as part of his job (laughs) i know where you're going and he is missing a y key from his keyboard and has been missing a y key 
for the last year and a half. I'm, I might even be shortchanging it. Yeah, and so I just want that. people to really <laughs> send their best to Sam. Start a GoFundMe for a Y key for Sam. I don't know what we need to do, but Sam has been pressing Control V every time he needs to type a Y. So when you read a Sam Stasekul story, I hope that you <laughs> keep that in mind and think about that extra effort that Sam puts in to write anything, like the word anything. Yeah. You know, exactly. that has a Y yeah. in it. That takes an extra effort from Sam. So I just wanted to make sure our community knew that. I can't allow more episodes to happen without people knowing that Sam is a professional writer with a broken keyboard. I do it for you folks. And Paul, thank you for airing my business like that. I'll have to think of some dirt on you that I can share next time. On Allocation Disorder, when we return next week for episode four or five or five and a half, um, whatever you want to call it. Uh, until then, thanks for listening. Sam Stasekul, Paul Tenorio, signing off.